Acts 17, beginning in verse 19 and going through verse 34. These are God's words. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time and nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not fear, though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we'll, We will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them Dionysius the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So far the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. So Paul was, uh, whenever synagogue was in, in the synagogue, and then whenever synagogue was out in the marketplace, reasoning with, persuading people, preaching to them, uh, Jesus and the resurrection. Uh, and... Uh, this was a pluralistic society in which uh, they uh, loved to hear and speak uh, new things. Uh, and there was a particular place that they did that. So they took him away from the evangelism that he was doing uh, that was uh, basically based on God's providence, that if someone had providentially been made a member of synagogue so that they had the word of God, uh, Paul, out of respect for God's word, had good hope that God might be converting that person. He would evangelize them at synagogue. Uh, and then if God and his providence just happened to have them in the marketplace at the same time that the apostle to the Gentiles was in the marketplace, uh, Paul had good hope that God might be converting them. So whoever happened to be there, he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Uh, but the world does not like uh, evangelism that trusts in God's providence. The world uh, wants uh, to uh, sequester and herd um, the uh, uh, you know, the 
talking about religion and philosophy uh, into the places that it wants, uh, the way that Sidney I used to uh, herd um, uh, Emmett and Kess wherever I wanted, being the good border collie that she was. So they take him to the Areopagus, which is the place where they hear all these new things. Uh, they like the strange things that he's bringing to their ears. You are bringing some strange things to our ears, therefore we want to know what these things mean. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, the apostles' assumption is that whomever the Lord is bringing to hear his word, he might be saving. Whomever the Lord uh, is bringing into the life of a believer, he might be saving. Uh, whereas uh, most of us, uh, or at least in my experience, I've been around many who thought somebody who's asking questions means that you know they're really getting converted. But curiosity and interest in all sorts of new things does not come necessarily uh, from the gracious work of the Spirit. It also comes from the flesh. It comes from the idea that uh, all philosophies are equally acceptable and all theologies uh, are uh, equally interesting. Uh, what actually comes from the Spirit is the desire to reject all philosophies and all theologies except the ones that are taught by God the Holy Spirit through the Scriptures. So this, this curiosity or open-mindedness uh, is not actually an indicator of something gracious happening. Uh, the Lord may use it. He's very merciful. He does save a couple here. Uh, but comparatively to what we've been, to what we've been seeing him do in other places, uh, is actually not a, uh, a great marvelous response, uh, at the end of the passage. There are some and there are so few that he just names one man, one woman, uh, and says, yeah, and there were a couple of others. In the city of Athens, one of the most populated cities in the world. So, uh, let us learn to take our encouragements the way the scripture gives encouragements. But let us learn. But let us learn also to uh, uh, to serve the Lord in whatever opportunities he gives us. Uh, notice Paul doesn't say, well, you know, this Areopagus thing was your idea, not my idea, uh, and I already had an evangelistic plan, so uh, no thank you. No, he gets an opportunity to preach the gospel. He's going to preach the gospel, and so he does. He says, um, <clears throat> men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. From Paul, this is not a compliment. They thought it was a compliment. Uh, Paul is saying, the one thing that you got right is that you, despite all of your religion, you still don't know the only one who's true. The, the one who made the world and everything in it. In other words, he's not just the unknown God. He's the only God. Everything else you're calling a God didn't make the world. Nothing else that you're calling a God made a single thing that is in it. The only God who made the world, the only God who made anything, is a God that you don't even know, despite of all of your pluralism, despite of all, all of your religions, all of your philosophies, all of your theologies. Okay, so the curiosity of man and the multiplicity uh, of listenings to one another does not increase truth. Man is blind. Infinity times zero, well, that's weird calculus. A Googleplex times zero is still zero. Okay, so he's saying, he basically says, 
It's a good thing for you that finally, after these centuries of all of this blind idolatry, you finally have someone who actually knows the one true God standing in front of you. You better listen up. Okay, so he's not being like super complimentary and engaging with and intersecting the culture. He is denouncing their culture and everything in it. And he says, you've done it, you, you, you've worshipped all the wrong gods. Uh, verses uh, 22 through 24, you've worshipped all the wrong ways. Verse 25, nor has he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. You should have known because you were inventing the worship that the one you were worshipping was not God. You should have known because you thought you were giving him something that the one that you were serving is not God. If your God needs you, he is not actually God. He is an idol that you invented because he's needy. Okay, so he, he draws this clear distinction. And uh, if, if man in his darkness and sin had not been given over to a, a depraved mind, he would say, that's exactly right. So nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from, okay, I should say one more thing. One of the things in our life, whatever it is that we give our uh, our lives to, uh, a lot of people uh, do it to uh, give their lives for money or the, uh, the you know, praise that comes from others or uh, feeling strong in ourselves or you know, all of these things that we have to put a lot in uh, to get something out of, that we have to uh, serve or work really hard at uh, to improve a little bit. The fact that it needs our help, whatever it is, should be an indication to us that it cannot ultimately help us. It is not worthy of our worship. It is not worthy of the devotion of our hearts. The one true God is a God of all grace. He gives us everything. When we serve him, we serve him in dependence upon him. When that service goes well, that came from him. And the fact that he is not needy but gives everything not only means that he is worthy of our worship, but it means he is trustworthy of our faith. That when we trust in him, we know he can save us. He will save us. He does love us. We love him because he first loved us. He's the one who initiated the love. So anything, anything man-made in religion, whether it's pagan man-made religion or whether it claims to be Christian, it's not actually Christian if it doesn't come from Christ, but there are a lot of people who say, this is Christian, that is Christian. They use the word Christian holiday, for instance, to talk about, you know, different holy days that the Lord didn't make up. Interestingly, the ones who love those uh, often get upset if you talk to them about the one actual Christian holiday. But uh, if your God is needy, it's a clue that he's not God. He's not worthy of your worship, and he's not trustworthy of your faith. If he needs your help, he can't give you what you need. Now, what has the true God done? He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. So one of the things in, in Athens is that it was a melting pot. There are people there from all sorts of nations with all sorts of gods. They thought that they had heard 
uh, from all the nations thus uh, thus far discovered with all their different gods. And now they have a strange dude talking about a strange god as far as they're concerned. They're like, ha another nation with another god. They buy into this idea of multiple races, which uh, is an idea that we have in our culture today. It's not new, but it's as false now as it was 2,000 years ago. He says, no, actually, all people in all nations at all times were made of one blood. And there's only one God. Verse 27, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him. So it's not that the nations all have different gods. It's that the nations have come up with different gods because they're all committing the same idolatry. So what you're hearing are not you know, bunch of different perspectives on the truth. When you hear pluralism, when you hear people from different nations talk about the religion in their nation, what you're hearing is not a bunch of different perspectives on the truth. You're taught, you're hearing the great variety of uh, rebellious lies against the truth. And yet God has made the truth evident. Not only did he make the world and everything in it, like Romans 1 tells us, that um the divine nature is actually uh, on display in the things that are made. But he also made himself known to us, which he says in Romans 1 before he even talks about what you can see in the rest of the creation. Maybe I should read that real quickly. I have this horrible habit of assuming everybody remembers the scriptures. I don't remember the scriptures like I should. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, etc. So there's a knowledge of God that is in every man. And that's exactly what he says here. Uh, he says so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grow for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we also are his offspring. Uh, and so he's, uh, he's quoting Epimenides from about 600 years prior and Aratus from about 300 years prior. Uh, and uh, words that they said uh, that they were speaking uh, with reference to Zeus, which was a lie. They made these things up about Zeus. Why? Because they understood that there was a God in whom they lived and moved and had their being. They just came up with their own idolatry. Someone whom they created in the image of men. Zeus was created in the image of a man and not a particularly good man because sinful men are the only kinds of men who make up idols. So when they make up a, an idol god, they make up a sinful god. And that's what you have in the Greek pantheon. A whole bunch of sinful supermen, basically, who with their divine powers just act as wickedly as gods, as men act among men. And, and so these these poets for hundreds of years had been saying things about Zeus, and then we live and move and have our being, or uh, we are the offspring of God, we also, we are his offspring, 
that were actually true of the living God. So what Paul is saying is your own poets testify against you that God, the one true God, has not left himself without witness in men's hearts. That we are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness uh, whenever we uh, whenever we make up something about God. And so he points out, we have souls. We grope after him. Gold doesn't have a soul. Silver does not have a soul. Stone does not have a soul. Even the fact that we are devising things shows that the things that we devise can't be God. Why? Because we can't devise things that devise things. Right? Even with uh, with all that we've done with AI, we you know nothing is that we make is truly sentient because it doesn't have a soul. Okay, therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked. What does he mean? Well, he means that God hasn't judged the nations yet. He means that God has been patient thus far with the nations. You know, one nation rises, another nation falls. You know, different nations at the same time are in this uh, balance of power and tension against one another, and God hasn't destroyed them all. Does that mean that God isn't going to judge the world? There's this delusion that people fall into because they have lived a while and they have not ended up in hell yet. Remember in Romans chapter 2, the idea that you know, there were those who uh, were presuming because of the patience of God that what they were doing wasn't so bad after all. And what did the apostle say? He said, the patience of God is meant to lead you to repentance. It's meant to show you how gracious and good is this God against whom we are sinning. Not so that we would become hard and callous and say, well, you know, ever since the creation of the world, things have continued as, uh, you know, as they always were, and they always will. He's saying, history had a beginning at the creation, and it has an end at the judgment. And the fact that uh, God isn't destroying all of the nations, uh, that, or that God hasn't yet destroyed all of the nations that refuse to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, doesn't mean that he won't. It doesn't mean that he's grading on a curve. It doesn't mean that there's this kind of natural law and that um, your your heart will be balanced against uh, what it knew to do. And you know, if you've done more good than bad, you know, if your karma balance at the end uh, is positive, that you'll be okay. No. He's going to judge the world in, in righteousness. He's going to judge the world according to his perfectly righteous standard. Anyone who has failed to love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, anyone who has failed to glorify him as God and worship him only will go to hell. Which means that you better be a different someone than you began. Because the person you began as is going to hell. 
and either the person you began as has been punished with hell on the cross in union with Christ so that you are not the one as whom you begin. You are the one who will live forever because you are in Jesus and he has in your behalf and his own but in your behalf has loved the Lord with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength and he has glorified God properly as God and no one else. Even Satan offering him all, you know, to all the nations of the world, uh, and which, of course, aren't really Satan's to offer, although he has some kind of domineering over them at the time, and Jesus came to take that away. But he did glorify God alone as God. He answered, you shall worship, you shall serve Yahweh your God and him only. Only if you, if the righteous one who is doing the judging is your righteousness. Are you going to survive that judgment? And so he said, you know, don't let the, the fact that history hasn't yet ended fool you into thinking that it's not going to end. He's appointed a day. You know, he's not slow as some count slowness. He's not dragging his feet. You know, he's not unable to end it immediately and judge everyone. He's patient. He's patient. So truly these times of ignorance God overlooked. You know, don't let the Pax Romana and the fact that Rome has survived for a couple hundred years at this point fool you into thinking that Rome is strong or that Greek or Roman gods are real. No. The only reason Rome still exists is because God is permitting it to exist. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked. But now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. There is a man who is stronger than all of your gods because he is God himself. He is the judge. He is the righteous one. But he who is righteous God became first righteous man in order that he could be our righteousness before we stand before him and are judged. And uh, so it's, uh, it's very bold, very plain, very uh, contrary to all that they believe. Uh, and it's interesting. They... Uh, seems like they were willing to hear him up until that point because they thought they were just hearing a strange new thing. They were not getting at all that he was telling them that even their approach to truth is something for which there is literally hell to pay. But when they hear about the resurrection from the dead, they say, well, we've never seen that before. Just like they've never seen the judgment before. Well, the judgment is coming. And the resurrection did happen. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, others said, we'll hear you again on this matter. You know, both of those groups are still unsaved, aren't they? One decided that their pluralism doesn't have room for this one. The other one decided that they liked their pluralism, but they, you know, as we, you know, cycle through listening to, you know, various 
religions will listen to you again. You, you can join the pluralism of our uh, ideas. And so Paul departed from among them. However, some men, it's interesting, the word there is not anthropos, it's on there, it's male-specific. Some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysius the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So the implication is that it's a few, but it's a few whom God himself saved, whom God himself saved from man-made religion, from trusting in things that they had devised, from serving uh, needy deities, to trust in God through Christ alone, serving the God who not only has made everything, but is the only one who can save us. Praise God, he exercised his almighty power to save on that day. And may he continue to do so in our days. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this portion of your word. We pray that you'd help us as we come to hear it preached tomorrow, that your spirit would bless both our hearing of it now in family worship and then especially our hearing of it preached in the public worship tomorrow. And pray that the Lord Jesus would speak from heaven and uh, sanctify us as he uh, continues to uh, prepare us to receive an unshakable kingdom. We thank you and praise you that all the kingdoms of this world are about to be shaken and uh, destroyed. Uh, we look forward, Lord Jesus, to the day that we will sing that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ, which we ask in your name. Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you.